Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I am so happy and thankful and excited to be here, and I hope you are too. We are back in the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 8, so I'm going to give you a second to turn there if you brought a copy of God's Word or if you have a, a tablet or a screen of some kind, you want to start scrolling to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 17, but we're just going to focus on the two verses uh, 12 and 13. While you're turning, I want to pray and ask God to help us focus our attention and our time this morning on Him, on His Word, on what this passage teaches us. I'm not going to be able to cover everything that I want to cover this morning, so this is kind of a little mini-series in the book of Romans, and I'll tell you that so that you don't say, why did he skip over this? What does this mean? What does that mean? That sounded like it could have been important. It's all important, and we're going to capture all of it, but today we're just going to hit three points, celebrate communion and we'll be on our way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you that you have kept your promise to meet together with your people in a powerful way. We've already experienced and tasted your goodness, your power, your beauty, your transforming ability, Lord, hearing about these stories from camp. Thank you for answering prayers, getting the AC working, Lord. We know it's weak and it's it's dying, but you got it working this week, and pray for the repair people that are coming this week to the school to work on it. Thank you for all the hardworking men and women who have gone above and beyond to make what we do on Sunday mornings possible, Lord. People that get here early, stay here later, thank you for, for all that hard work done in your name, Lord. You, you keep an account of all of it, Lord, and, and we'll reward it. I pray that you would remove any efforts from the enemy to take our mind away from what your spirit is going to put it on this morning, Lord. Work powerfully, transformationally, help us to see Jesus more clearly, his beauty, his love for us, and to see that we are living in a time of war, spiritually, God. May you equip us and help us, oh God, to see that and to fight, and to fight the right enemy in the right way, for the right reasons, with the right outcome. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Romans chapter 8. Verse 12, if you're there, say amen. amen. I grew up in a church that did that sometimes. All right, here we go. You can follow along if you don't have a copy of God's Word or a device. We, we bailed you out today. We got it on the PowerPoint up here. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's quite a passage, isn't it? And like I said, we're going to focus just on verses 12 and 13 today. This is an eastern brown snake. It is a highly venomous species of reptile. As a matter of fact, the venom in this snake is ranked as the second most toxic of any land snake in the world. Suffer a bite by that snake, and you're going to have a very bad day, and probably a very short day, and you better be ready to meet Jesus. He's dangerous. He's deadly. Stay away. Well, a child was found in a little town in Texas pulling a wagon with a little pet snake in it. And upon uh, investigation, animal control, who was called because somebody saw the snake and thought, something's not right with this, that that little boy was pulling around in his wagon the eastern brown snake. That's pretty crazy. He was playing with that snake. Now listen, by God's grace, how many stories do you hear about that? God's preserving, uh, protecting grace. That little boy was not harmed. He was not bitten. Thankfully, that snake is somewhat docile. It's not aggressive. Um, there's, there's grace in that. Can you imagine playing with something so dangerous is that. Well, the good news is this. That snake is actually not native to America. It's, it's a, uh, an Australian species of reptile. It's found in Australia. Why was it in America? Because 
man, I have no words for the people that did this, but people that just get excited and they're, they're adrenaline junkies about the most venomous and poisonous types of animals they can keep, and they didn't have its cage the right way in that little town in Texas, and it got out, and that little boy found it and put it in his wagon. So even though that snake, highly venomous, dangerous, deadly, shouldn't play with it, you should stay away from it, even though it's not native, what if I told you, my friends, that there is something that is native to you, that is much more deadly than any snake, spiritually speaking? How close does it live? It dwells within you. We've talked about this in Romans 7, Romans 6 actually, Romans 7 and now Romans 8. We have this sinister evil presence within us, this sin nature, and it's called indwelling sin. It dwells within us. We died when we came to Christ. That's what our baptism signifies. We had a baptism last week. Two souls were baptized. A baptism is kind of a funeral. You're saying goodbye to the old Brett, to the old Mandy, right? And you're saying hello to the new creation in Christ Jesus. It's also a wedding. You're, you're, you're wedded to Christ. It's also a coronation of King Jesus. New loyalties, new life, new obedience. Well, this is uh, also the beginning of a journey. Baptism represents that even though the old you is dead, sin is not dead. Sin is still very much alive, but you have, have now been given a, a power, okay? You've been liberated from the authority of sin, from the jurisdiction of sin, from the power and the dominion of sin. It no longer has sway over you. It no longer can dictate to you and tell you what to do. That power has been broken, but that sin is still very much alive. And here's the problem. Sin wants to crawl back on the throne of your life and tell you what to do, where to go, what to watch, what to think, how to behave, how to respond when you're hurt. And so we've been given this commission in the Bible, and here's the commission. It is this, to kill sin. Did you hear it in that passage that I read? Let me put it up here for you so that you can see it. Here it is in the two verses. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will, say that word together with me, die. What happens to you if you live according to the flesh? You die. Spiritually speaking, you die. You're on a path to, to eternal death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will, say that word out loud, live. So there's two paths here. There's two paths. If you live according to the flesh, you're dying and you will die. If by the Spirit, and we're going to get more Next week, into what does that mean by the Spirit? It means you can't do this alone. It means you've been equipped. It means if you try to just conjure up more willpower, try harder, do better, pedal faster, you're going to tank. Because this requires more than willpower. This requires spiritual weapons, which we've been given. And we're going to talk about all that in the next several weeks. But here's what I want to focus on today. If by the Spirit you put to death... The deeds of the body. This is about killing sin. In fact, the name of this sermon is Three Ways to Kill Your Sin. And every, every word in that title is important. This may be one of the most important words in it. Your. Your sin. You've been called to help me as your brother in Christ put to death my sin, but you can't kill my sin for me. i got to do that. I can't kill your sin for you. You're responsible for that. And I think a lot of Christians spend their entire lives trying to kill other people's sins, and theirs are running rampant. It's like, physician, take thy own medicine. Your own garden is filled with weeds. you got work to do, bro. But we get so focused and obsessed with other people's lives. No, this is a personal commission from Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul to you and I. Be killing your sin or your sin will be killing you. That's what this passage is, is all about. So, we got three points in this message, and then we'll be on our way. Three ways to kill whose sin? Your sin. Yeah, ours. Don't say yours, because then you, yeah, our sin, right. Three ways. Point number one, ruthlessly. Point two, relentlessly. Point three, relationally. I got a little Southern Baptist in me. I'm sorry. I got to get the three R's there. It doesn't feel right. Ruthlessly, relentlessly, and relationally. The first way is ruthlessly, and, and by that, I simply mean this. No compassion, no pity. Don't put your kid gloves on. This is not calling for you to wound your sin, play around with it, mm, smack it. Yeah, take that. It's not talking about this. It's not even talking about weakening your sin, even though we will talk about that. There's a process. Starve it. Lay siege to it. Don't feed it. Don't go there. Don't watch this. Don't listen to that. There's a time and place to talk about all that, and we will. But this calls you to, the word actually means to violently execute someone. To put an end to their existence. Jesus used 
this word of himself in Luke 21 and many other places when he was telling his disciples what was about to happen to him in three days. The Son of Man, he said, and now we know what that word means, thanks to Matt. By the way, pause button. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you all to all the wonderful men who fill this pulpit when I'm gone. I don't thank you enough. Uh, at no time when I was away did I, did I wonder or, or suffer apprehension or anxiety. I knew God's word would be preached here, and it was, and I'm grateful to y'all. So thank you for that. Um, and now hit the play button. Where was I? Somebody help me. Son of Man, yeah, now we know what Son of Man is. Jesus said, when the Son of Man in three days goes up to Jerusalem, he will be delivered over and put to death. Same word in Greek, to violently die, for your existence to cease. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you and I to do, and to do it ruthlessly. That means take no pity, take no prisoners. Do whatever, by whatever means it takes for you to do it is what we've been called to do. This is ruthless. This is like Rambo in a choir robe, okay? <clears throat> Violent stuff. Now, because you may wonder, I know I did, here's a question I want to address preliminarily before we get into the outline, okay? Why in the world do we have to do this? If God is so powerful, if sin is so terrible, and sin's desire is always to kill you, you know that, right? Sin wants to charm you, captivate you, seduce you, and then dominate you and destroy you. That's what it wants to do. Sin wants to kill you. Make no mistake so that you know sin's strategy. Sin's uh, desire is for you to consume you. That's what it wants to do. If that's the case, and if God is so powerful and he can do whatever he wants, why do we still struggle with sin? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever lamented and complained? Like, God, why? Why do I still have these same struggles? I'm a new creature. I'm born again. I have your living spirit, the spirit of the living Christ dwelling within me. Why in the world is it so hard to obey Jesus? Why in the world do I find sin's temptations so compelling? Why did Jesus leave this sin nature here? He could have taken it away. Why did he leave it? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I've been downright angry about it before. But there is, a, there is an answer. You know, two of the, really the only two kind of prayers in the Bible you will ever see are these. Help and thank you. And usually my thank you prayers are for deliverances that God brought me through for sinning and suffering and temptations. So think about this. How might your prayer life and your dependence on God change if you, didn't, if you weren't called to this war to put sin to death, to resist temptations, to say no to this and that urge and impulse? Man, we'd be some pretty proud people, I would imagine. I mean, I guess we wouldn't be proud if our sin was taken. Anyway, because pride's the greatest sin, right? But I, I, I wanted to show you a passage that, uh, that I found recently in Judges. And uh, it's when God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, were called into the promised land. And there they were. They found themselves surrounded by pagan nations that were hostile to them. They were not sympathetic at all to their uh, Yahweh worldview, okay? They were hostile. They wanted to end Israel. Israel's existence. And this is what, this is what uh, God told them in Judges 3. Check this out. Now, these are the nations that the Lord left. Who left those nations? The Lord. Could he have removed and eradicated all of them? Yes. Effortlessly, he could have done it. But he didn't. He left those enemies there. Sounds kind of familiar. Something else he did. <laughs> Other enemies he left here, right? The Lord left to test Israel by them. Test What's God testing? That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war. Might know war. To teach war to those who have not known it before. What is he saying here? He's saying that, oh, Grandpa Joshua, in the book of Judges, he could have told you how awesome God was. How God delivered them. How he parted the Red Sea. How he parted the Jordan how some, some of the, the wars they fought, they didn't lift a finger. God did all the work for them. He could tell them that, and they could sit in a little circle and nod their head and say, that must have been awesome. Or God could say, how would you like to taste that same delivering power? How would you like to taste and see that the Lord is good? How would you like to test drive this power that you just heard about from a distance? God wants all of us to, to test drive the good news of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to see that God is with us. He's committed to us. We're not alone. We're not helpless. 
He wants to test us. He wants to train us for war. And you know what? This is going to make us so much more dependent on God, right? When you're battling a sin nature, doesn't it make you dependent on God? Lord, I can't do this alone. I wake up in the morning and there's this relentless catalog of temptations facing me before my feet ever get out of bed. I'm tempted with things, wrong ways to think, wrong ways to respond, wrong ways to prioritize and order my day. And I have to ask for God's help. And that's a good thing. When you're in a position to ask for God's help, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. It makes you more dependent on God. It makes you more humble. That's humbling to know that, man, I can't live one second of the day without God's help, without his power, without his deliverance. And you know what else it makes you? Compassionate to other people. Have you ever encountered a cold, aloof, hard, calloused, angry Christian? It's because they've forgotten how dependent they are on Jesus. And when we remember if God were to leave us to our own devices and abandon us, how helpless we would be, oh my goodness. So it makes us thankful, it makes us humble, it makes us more focused on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, His delivering power. And it makes us long for heaven. Don't you want to be rid of this body of death? Amen. I do too, man. I want to know what it's like to go a whole day without having one sinful thought, without being enticed, without one temptation. I want to know what that's like. And I will. And I won't have to experience it for a day. I'll have all eternity. So this is just a short vapor of a life we have to fight war, to be taught war, to put to death our sin, to be ruthless, to eliminate it, to taste God's deliverance and His power. And that's what we've been called to do. God could have effortlessly eradicated our sin, just like he could have effortlessly taken away all those enemy nations around, surrounding Israel, but he didn't. He left them there to teach them more and to humble them. Now listen, this is not just in the book of Romans, uh, this call to kill your sin. Here it is in another place I'll show you here, Colossians, Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's just another way of saying sinful impulses, indwelling sin. Starve it. Kill it. Execute it. Put to death. Give it no quarter. Have no mercy. Take no pity. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives a list here. And this is not an exhaustive list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. Anybody struggle with any of those? Anybody covetous today? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Oh, well, that just elevated the seriousness of it, right? On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So this is all over the Bible, but we're in Romans, so we're going to focus there for now. He says, put these things to death. Now, the context of this is this chapter that's filled with 20-something odd references to the Holy Spirit. And we've already been taught, live according to the Spirit. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. And this is part of what the Spirit is teaching us to do, is to hate our sin, to kill it, to execute it, to cut it off. That's what the Holy Spirit desires for you and I to do, and that's what He equips us to do, is to kill our sin, to say no to temptation. But there's something really interesting here, and i got to confess it to you. I love how powerful the Bible is, how timeless it is. I don't know how many times I've studied this. I've taught on it a few times. I've written a series of articles on it for a website before, and, and I totally missed the very beginning of this, where Paul says this. Check this out. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. I just want to hit the pause button there. If we're talking about ruthless, we got to get really ruthless. And listen, if you... If you Disobey God, you fall prey to sin, you, you, you were weak in a moment of temptation, and you committed the sin, it's, it's too late to kill that sin, right? You need to ask for forgiveness. That's a different kind of killing. You need to confess it. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what Paul is talking about here is before the sin ever presents itself, there's always a process, right? There's an on-ramp. There's a temptation. And I love how Paul gets to the root of the issue. He says, first, we got, we got to change the way we think. If you change the way you think, you change the way you believe, you change the way you live. And here's what Paul's attacking first. He's saying, we got to stop with all this language of, I owe myself. 
That's the language that say, I deserve, I deserve something. I've been held out on. God's been holding out on me. And you know what? It's my time. It's, it's, it's time that, that I got what's coming to me. I deserve this. I've been working so hard. I've been so good. Now, I want, I want you guys to track with me this morning because, listen, we all have this script, this narrative that we tell ourselves. And, and so often it gets us into very deep trouble. And you listen to yourself more than you listen to anybody else. You listen to me one hour a week. I'm, I'm rounding it off, okay? You listen to me about an hour a week. You know how often you listen to yourself? As often as you're awake, you're telling yourself a story. You're narrating your life to yourself. And I just wonder often what that narrative sounds like. Because Paul's going to flip the script on us. We're going to get to that later. He's saying, hey, you're a child of the living God. You've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You're an heir and a joiner. You're going to reign with Christ one day. That's a much better script than we sometimes tell ourselves, and we'll get to that. But I want to be honest with you, what so often leads me to, to, to a place and a position of weakness when temptation comes is this. It's like, man, I, I deserve a break. I deserve this. I owe this to myself. That's debtor language. That's very dangerous. It's a lie. It's not true. And it's deadly. And it will always take you down a path you don't need to be on at all. And it's very slippery. It's like one of those slip and slides. Once you start thinking that way, man, you're, it's downhill. The decline is steeper and steeper and faster. You're on a road that leads, I don't want to say to nowhere, because it leads to somewhere. And it's not a good place. That's why the Apostle Paul, in another place, he said this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I think about that passage just about every day. So often I've heard it used in like apologetics and evangelism. When you're going out there and you're defending the, the faith, you're arguing about why the Bible is true, we take their thoughts captive. But do you know what this passage really means? Whose thoughts are we supposed to take captive? Our thoughts. There's a time for apologetics and engaging with an unbeliever and showing them how their worldview is unreasonable, inconsistent, dangerous. They don't even live according to their worldview, and you help them take their thoughts captive. But listen, my friends, the first call in the Bible is for you and I to take our own thoughts captive. And when you feel yourself and hear yourself telling this narrative of like, man, I'm so, I'm so alone, and I've done without, and I feel like God has held out on me. Nobody else understands. Nobody else gets me. It'll just be this one time. I can stop whenever I want. Am I getting in your kitchen yet? When you hear that, when you hear that, take it, take it captive. Identify it for what it is, friends. It's a lie. That's a lie. And you need to take it captive. Identify the enemy. You know, I love, Scott, you could probably help me know more about the language here, but working on a SWAT team, I imagine you understand when you get a call and you have to go in a building, you got to sweep the whole thing, right? you got to clear it. you got to make sure, man, there's no enemy around the corner. And in a sense, I'm, I'm thinking like SWAT imagery when I'm thinking of this. we got all these thoughts in our head and they're hiding out, just waiting for the right opportunity. When we're tired, when we're weak, when we suffer a setback, when we didn't get that promotion at work, when we didn't meet the girl or the guy, or when we did and it turned out bad and we see other people's marriages and we think there's something that they're really not maybe, then that enemy that was hiding in the shadows jumps out and says, you owe yourself. Just one time won't hurt. I can handle this. God will forgive me. Nobody's perfect. I'm not hurting anyone. Just this once. At least I'm not as bad as this is all a script. And this is exactly what Paul says to not do. He says, we are debtors, not to the flesh. You know what he's saying? This is so countercultural, friends. This is so anti-secular. Paul is saying, you don't owe that part of your body, that flesh, you don't owe it a thing. And then Paul stops himself and he says, no way, you do owe it one thing, kill it. You owe it death. Don't give it any quarter, no mercy, no pity. Don't put on kid gloves. Don't mess around with it. Don't listen to it. Don't have a dialogue with it. Cut it off, kill it, execute it. That's what he says to do. I was asking my wife, I always ask my wife to help me, like, honey, help me think of these things. And she said, oh, I've heard a bunch. I've heard a bunch. And, and, and growing up and you hit those teenage years and adolescent years and all these hormones are raging, 
and you're tempted, and you tell yourself, well, boys will be boys. We all got to sow our wild oats. That's that language right there. You, you, you thinking you owe it to yourself to do this? And then, man, you can get into the deeper stuff. Like, man, it, it, this would feel good just this once. This would be good for me. No, it won't be good for you. This will kill you. There's some people that even go as far to think, like, man, I, I deserve this, and this is a reward. A reward? Sin? A reward? Do you know what sin will do to you? Do you know the road? It will, it will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. And you're calling that a reward? I talk to people in ministry, and I read the script that led so many of them down that path of temptation and compromise and disqualification and marital brokenness, and so often it's just the pressures of ministry. I needed a break. And it's almost like I wanted to reward myself, and it's like, well, how did the reward go? That's not a man, that sin tells us such lies. It's insane. It's insane. The heart wants what it wants. Sin is what the heart wants, ultimately. To thine own self be true. Have you ever heard that? That was a saying in Rome. To thine own self be true. What did Jesus come saying? Whoever wants to follow after me, let him what? Deny himself. To completely, totally, 100% opposite ideologies. To thine own self be true and deny thyself. But what the world wants you to think is, yeah, that's all Christianity is. It's a big, it's a big loud no from God. No, it's not, though. That's, that's half. The other half is yes to something much more beautiful, much more rewarding. It won't kill you. It won't leave you empty. It won't leave you guilty and feeling corrupt and worthless and contemplating ending your life. Sin will do all that. But obeying God, no, it will, not ever, not ever, not once, not ever. You only live once. What in the heck does that mean? You live forever is what you live. And what you do in this life, the quote Maximus, echoes in eternity, right? If that's the script before you do something unethical, immoral, or illegal, you're lying to yourself. When you start to think that way, I owe myself this, I deserve this, you should hear a lion roaring. You know, when, when Peter tells us the devil is like a roaring lion going about to and fro, seeking whom he may devour, they say, the people that I talk with in Africa, they say, when you hear the lion roar, it's over. When you start to think this way and believe yourself, it's one thing to talk to yourself, tell yourself lies. When you start believing them, hear the lion roar, man. You're about to do something that you're going to regret. That's not going to help you. It's going to take you in a deep, dark place. And Paul says, you do not owe your flesh a thing but to murder it. I know we think of Christianity and uh, we're peacemakers, right? We turn the other cheek. We're quick to forgive. We avoid conflict when at all possible. This is a ruthless part of the Christian. That's why that word ruthless, I like it. Downright violent part of the Christian life. For you are called to execute, not another person, but the true enemy, your sin. This is the message, guys, that the world is already telling us. Do you know most marketing and ad campaigns wouldn't work at all if this thing that Paul's telling us wasn't such a pull on us? Check this out. Now look, I, I hope none of these slides offend you. I use PowerPoint to try and help people, try and engage them. I just looked up a few ads, <laughs> a, few, a few ads, uh, Beer. What's that say at the bottom? Help me. Helps against acute reality. In other words, man, life is so hard. Let's get drunk together, right? Now, look, let me just clarify. I don't think drinking alcohol is sinful, okay? Drunkenness is. Let me just leave it at that. Wine is, is like a lot of other things. It can be a tremendous gift from God, or it can be a terrible liability if you use it in the wrong context. So, don't want you to say that I'm saying something by putting this up that I'm not. I'm telling you how the world would say it. Life is hard, man. Let's get smashed. Let's get wasted. Let's just get numb and forget everything, right? A couple more. It's over. Here you go. <laughs> you saw your girlfriend on Tinder. That's a dating app. And then they're offering an 8.3 or 2% alcohol. It's like, man, you need a real dose of this medicine. It's like, you know what? Bad things are happening to you. 
give yourself a break. It, you'll feel better. No, you won't. No, you won't. And by the way, I'm not, I, I could say a lot of stuff about this. You know, alcohol is like a downer anyway. If you're already sad, probably the worst thing in the world for you to do is drink alcohol. Too much of it. It's not just alcohol, though. It's food. Seriously. I mean, look, I love chocolate, guys. I got a sweet tooth. I got it from my mom who's watching. Mom, I love you. I love chocolate, too. But look, <laughs> you can have too much chocolate, guys. <laughs> you can... Or who said, no, you can't? Talk to me after the sermon. <laughs> it's, and look, I'm not saying these ads are evil. They're just pulling on what we already believe. You deserve a break today. I was born to give you the cream cheese spread you deserve. I'm sure that's really good for your body too, right? Isn't this the Diet Dr. Pepper? You deserve this. Do you know what's in Diet Dr. Pepper? You don't deserve that. All right. Uh, so it's not just alcohol and, and probably drugs too. I didn't dig too deep. I didn't go too deep down the rabbit hole. But even this, man. Even go ahead, you deserve it. Go ahead, go in debt, man. Get this muscle car or get this luxury car. That the whole, I mean, I'm telling you, all of marketing works this way. They are just tugging on the, the narrative that you are already telling yourself. They're just plugging into it, man. That's all they're doing. That's why it works. That's why it works. So maybe that was fun and laughable, but you know what? Not all of it's laughable. 40,000, no, 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 I think 40 million anonymous members to this. And you, do you know what the plug is? This, is? this is a website where you can have an affair anonymously. And here's their tagline. Life is short, have an affair. In other words, what? Man, live it up. You, you only live once. You deserve this. Indulge yourself. Feed your flesh. Nobody will know. This is a victimless crime, is it? Man, I've often wondered if you could go and sit down with King David around 2 Samuel chapter 13. After his son is dead, after his daughter has been raped, after his baby died, after his kingdom is torn asunder, after the sword has devoured half of his family and he's got relational conflict on every side. I've often wondered if you could sit down with him at a Starbucks maybe in Israel and say, hey, we think David, was it worth it? Was it worth it with Bathsheba, that little fling you had? What do you think he would say? You only live once? Think he would say that? Oh, it's totally worth it. I'd do it again. King David, a man after God's own heart, ruler of Israel, and it says the thing he had done exceedingly displeased the Lord. You owe yourself these things. That, I mean, that's the, that's the end conversation, right? And Paul says, no, you don't. If you're trying to reward yourself, this is a terrible way to reward yourself. There's, such, there's something uh, much more blessed, much more long-lasting, much more pleasurable than the things the world is going to dangle in front of you and your, and your fallen heart is going to dangle in front of you. So, don't listen to that narrative. Flip the script. Flip the script on it. Let me ask you a question. What has your flesh? If you're, if you're talking about you deserve this, you owe this to yourself, you're talking about a debt, and you're talking about paying somebody back because they've done something for you, right? What has your flesh ever done for you? Let me ask you that question. What has your flesh, that fallen part of you, that unredeemed part of you, what good has it ever done for you that you want to feed it and reward it? It's killing you. It wants to drag you down to hell with it. Don't reward it. Don't feed it. Don't indulge it. Don't strengthen it. Kill it, Paul says. Downright ruthless. Jesus, right after talking about adultery and looking at a woman with lustful intent, Jesus said this. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Now, we know this is not literal. Because physical matter is not evil. It's good. God pronounced it as good. Jesus is using a metaphor. He's using an analogy to tell you to get ruthless and get vicious in killing your sin. Get serious. He says this, For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That sounds pretty ruthless to me, doesn't it, you? Jesus is saying use any and every measure available to get away like Joseph. Flee, flee sexual immorality. I, I read this story uh, before I went to seminary, and, I, man, I could not put this book down. It's called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. It's about a 27-year-old kid named Aaron Roston, and uh, he, he went to, uh, I think, Blue Canyon Junction in Utah. He didn't tell anybody he was going there, okay? He went hiking by himself, solo. He found himself on top of an 800-pound boulder, and he slipped and fell, and the boulder fell, and it pinned his arm against the canyon wall. And he was trapped there for five and a half days, literally between a rock and a hard place. He was dehydrated. I won't even tell you the things he had to drink and eat to survive. I mean, this turned, this turned into a movie, I think, 127 hours or something like that. I haven't seen the movie, but the book was, was pretty graphic. Um, so anyway, he's stuck there. His arm is keeping him in that canyon, and he's faced with a choice. He can either stay in this canyon and keep his arm and die, or he can get really radical and get really crazy. And he can get rid of this arm and live. And he said in the book, the will to live compelled him to do what he did. You want me to tell you what he did? You want me to show you a picture? No, I'm not going to do that. He had a dull multi-tool, like one of those Swiss Army things you put in your backpack and you think, I'll never use this. That's all he had. And he cut his arm off. It took him an hour to do it. He had to break his tibula and his ulna. Anyway, sorry to get graphic, but, but guys, I, I read that book, and he, he wasn't a believer. He didn't even mention this, this passage. I thought, I cannot think. Jesus would have definitely used that. It's like your will, how, how serious, how radical can you get? It's like, i got to cut this part of my life off. I can't do that anymore. It's going to kill me. It's going to take me to a place where I'll never recover. Ruthless. If you live according to the flesh, you are about to die. Since Christians have such a reputation for fighting, let it be said of us, they fought their sins. Not they fought the world or they fought each other. Man, it's so much easier to do that and it feels so much better, doesn't it? To find somebody else to attack and get all up in their grill and all up in their face. And man, we're supposed to be doing that to ourselves. We're supposed to be confronting ourselves. That's how you love yourself. You protect yourself. That's how you love Jesus. You know this script that I was telling you, things we say to ourselves, you know those are lies. I'm all alone. Are you all alone? No. you got the best roommate in the world with you at all times. Who t and you say, well, nobody gets me. One person totally gets you. Only one. You don't even get yourself. Please put that out there. I don't even understand myself. I don't. Sometimes I'm like, what? In the, who am I? God gets me. God understands me. God loves me perfectly. God's with me. God will never leave me. God will never forsake me. We say, well, I got left out. I, I, was, I, got, a, I got a raw deal. Did you get a raw deal? Rehearse the gospel in your mind. Did you get a raw deal? What do we deserve? We deserve death and judgment, man. What did God give us instead? Redemption, rescue, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, seated together in the heavenly places with him, a promise of all eternity with him forever on a restored planet with a resurrected body. Oh, my word, raw deal? Who are we going to believe? <laughs> but check this out, Philippians 4. Man, this is such a good passage. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's how you flip the script. I love the first thing he said. Brothers, whatever is true. That script that we tell ourselves is a lie. It's not true. So kill it. Say, I'm not listening to this garbage. This garbage. It's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy and from my own fallen heart, and I'm not going to indulge it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, when, when I meet with people often, I try to get at what script are you telling, because we all tell ourselves a script, and I try to find the angle. Okay, okay, I got it. I got the script you're telling yourself now. Let me just unleash some beautiful gospel truth on that and tell you, why wow, that's a lie. You shouldn't believe it, and you need to flip the narrative, because you're believing the wrong things, my friend. 
And that makes all the difference in the world when you're in war. And we are. This is war that we're in. I'm trying to think of the passage where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and he says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I know there's different interpretations of that passage. I take it to mean this. (laughs) Get radical. And that doesn't mean heaven's a reward if you're radical enough. It just means the character of of those that are on the path to heaven is they're fighting. They're fighting not each other and not the world. They're fighting their own sin with God's help and God's victory. I mean, that's the real narrative is that we're victors. What you tell your flesh is, I'm just a victim. Poor me. Lie. That's a lie. You are more than a conqueror. That's the truth. That's the real narrative. Say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, are you going to trust your feelings every day? If I trust my feelings every day, you would see the real me in a ditch out there every single day because my feelings will take me there. Oh, the air was broke again on Sunday. Let me go get a 12-pack. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't say. (laughs) Man, it would feel like it some days, wouldn't it? (laughs) Poor me. God doesn't love me. Because of a broken AC, man, I need to go travel to another country and see how they do church there. But I'm not complaining. You guys are amazing. I have been so tremendously blessed by your attitude the last several weeks. I could say a lot more about that. And man, we're running out of time. Guys, I had two more points. <laughs> what to do? What are we going to do? I'll tell you what we're going to do. Man. Megan, I wanted to get to some of our website stuff. Megan has created <laughs> a brand new website for us, and it's incredible. It's incredible. Now, this is related to the sermon because the last point that I'm going to make next week is that what's beautiful about this passage when he says, you be putting your sin to death, is that it's in the plural. Here's what we think. Great. Give me all my armor. I'm going to run out on my, ride out on my white horse. I'm going to get away from people. I don't want anybody to get the blood on them. And I'm going to fight this war all by myself. Oh, you are. Then you're going to lose. Terrible, utter, epic, failed defeat. Because you're not understanding. This is together, my friend. This is relate. We do this ruthlessly. We do it relentlessly. Next week, we do it relationally. You do this together. You're stronger together. You're better together. Everything that we've been called to do as Christians, we do better together. Maybe there's a few exceptions. You can tell me what they are later. But the commands were better together. And we know that as a church. And listen, you cannot possibly do everything that God called you to do on a Sunday morning between the hours of 10 and 12. You can't do it. You need more time with other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that. And we take this serious, what the Bible says serious, our church does. That's why we're going to launch community groups in September after Labor Day. And we're going to have all that up on the website. I told Megan to hold off on that because we're not quite ready. Still figuring out who's leading, who's hosting. That's one other thing we do. Groups meet throughout the Tri-City and Volusia County area in homes. And you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy to host or lead a community group. Have you ever hosted like 15 people in your house that had kids? It's not easy to do. But you know what? It's, it's war. We're in war. What's that? It is fun, yes, if you're an extrovert. It's very fun. <laughs> but you know what? It's a worthy calling, isn't it? And that's why we do it, because we need each other. One of the greatest means of grace God has given you and me is one another. We need one another's gifts. We need one another's help. We need one another's prayers. We need one another's confrontation and accountability. We just need to to walk in the light with one another and confess our sins, James 5, 16, to one another. You can't do that alone, and you shouldn't try. You say, well, I confess my sins to God. Okay, you're halfway there. Now you need to confess them to one another. I'll give you a Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote, Matt, from Life Together. It'll blow your mind. He said, when you confess sin out loud to another believer, you break the power of it. It's incredible. Because sin thrives in anonymity and secrecy and darkness. And when you confess it, you pull it out in the light. And it's like a vampire in sunlight. And I don't believe in vampires, but you get the analogy, right? Like just sizzling, dried up, dead. We're better together. When we slaughter sin together, we're better. And so here's what else we've done. Because community groups are mixed company. There's kids there, there's adults, there's men, there's women. Not always the best place to confess private secret struggles, right? So here's what we're doing. 
I'm so happy to hear what God is doing in this church. I hear, I hear about, I see you guys hanging out. My wife was running in our neighborhood the other day, and she said, I drove, uh, ran by so-and-so's house, and there's all kinds of grace lifers over there hanging out. I'm like, man, isn't that awesome? In the first year, I felt like if we didn't schedule it, it wouldn't happen. If we didn't tell people to do it, they wouldn't do it. Now it's actually happening. Here's the word that I always wanted to use, and it never worked, organically. It's like little pockets of Christians getting together, mutually encouraging one another, praying with one another. It's happening. And we're not telling them to do it. They're just doing it. It's like a, a new baby finding milk. They just do it because they know they need it. And they're not going to survive without it. And, uh, but some people struggle to make that happen. They don't have the relationships, the networks, the connections. And we know that. We understand that. So here's what we're doing. We want to do everything we can to help you fight with other Christians. We're in a battle together. So... We have a new website. Megan did an amazing job on it. And uh, here's the new website. So I'm going to do the best job I can to help you understand this. Matt is our discipleship pastor. And, and we are forming something called D groups. D stands for discipleship. It means we're following Jesus together. Little groups, two, three, four, any bigger than that. And it's going to kind of lose its function. It's going to become a bigger community group. But this is a little group where you're honest with one another, you're praying with one another, you're studying scripture, memorizing the Bible with one another, you're calling one another to check on, on one another, and you're doing it, and you're doing it relentlessly. You're doing it as often as you need to. And so here's our new website. Now watch this. At the top of that website is a tab that says gather. If you want to be a part of something a small group, of it's going to be same gender, men with men, women with women. If you want to be part of something like that and you don't know how to start, click on gather. And then click on discipleship group. Is that, is that what it says? D group? I can't see it from here. I'm sorry. And then I want you to scroll down. It's really easy. You could actually do it right now, but don't. Pay attention to the sermon, okay? Do it later. Scroll down, and then you're going to get to the very bottom, and it says if you're interested and exhilarated and excited or something like that about this, click here. Just click that button, and then it's going to pull this up where you enter your information and submit it, and it's going to go directly to Matt. And Matt, it's your fault if you don't respond to them. <laughs> and he's going to help connect you to a group of believers who can help you fight sin together. So does anybody in here not need any help fighting their sin? Don't raise your hand because you know the answer to that is yes, you do. And here's my next question. How serious are you in wanting to honor the risen Lord? Isn't he worthy of our best that we can give him? This is, listen, guys, this is not about willpower. This is not about one-upping another person. This is just us taking the Christian life serious. This is what Romans is leading us to do. This is just the very beginning of our talk on it. I don't, I don't want to say anything more today because we're out of time and we need to uh, celebrate communion, but... Three ways to kill sin, ruthlessly, relentlessly. I'll get into that more next week. This is not just a one and done. There, took care of that. Now it'll never come back. You'll wait 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's in the present active indicative tense, on and on. It's like breathing. Everybody take a deep breath, and then you got all your oxygen you need for the day, right? Wrong. Same thing with this. Actually, a good translation is be killing sin. Be breathing. Be doing laundry, be washing dishes, be shopping, okay? It's something, be mowing the lawn, be de-weeding the garden, it never ends. The, the minute you stop doing those things, you're in serious trouble. The minute you stop killing your sin, you're done. You're done. So let's pray. And uh, if you have believing children in the back, see, I remember, didn't I? If you have believing children in the back and you want them to join your family, and celebrating communion, this will be your time to go, and the teachers will be expecting you. And I'm going to close us out in prayer, and I'm going to invite Matt Carr, our discipleship pastor, to come up and, and lead us in a time of communion. And if you're part of the serving team, you can get ready to come down. But let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, when I think about the violence that we've been called to, I think about the violent death that you suffered on our behalf on the cross. It was bloody. It was gory. It was painful. It was agonizing. Even anticipating it, Lord, you were sweating great drops of blood and you confessed to your disciples that your soul was in agony to the point of death and you wanted them to pray with you and watch with you if the Son of God needed help. 
in his moment of agony, how much more help do we need? But Lord, you suffered a ruthless, violent execution so that we would never have to face that. And you were abandoned. You were left alone, utterly, completely alone. You were forsaken by your friends, by your people, the Jews. You were forsaken by the religious leaders. You were forsaken by even your followers. And you were forsaken and deserted by your father, abandoned. And you suffered the full judgment of God and wrath so that we would never have to. And in a way, that was relentless for you. You suffered it as if it would be for all eternity on our behalf, Lord, so that we could be rescued and redeemed, so that we could see the smiling face of God instead of the frowning, hateful face of judgment that that awaits unbelievers. Lord, help us to understand this passage, this message, what these things mean. Help us to do this together. Help this church, Lord, to be a safe place where people can fight their sin and put it to death, and we can do it together. And we can do it with joy, and we can do it with gratitude that you have equipped us to do it, Lord. You've not left us alone. You have not left us helpless, and we're not victims. Thank you for these truths, Lord. I pray that as we celebrate what it cost you to secure all of these things, as we taste this bread and handle it, this juice, Lord, that, that it would put us in mind that we're proclaiming your death until you come, and we're ready, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, and rescue us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matt, you want to come? Amen. So I, I'll go ahead and call the servers down front, those who will help us uh, pass out the elements today. And like you said, if you have uh, kids in the back who uh, you know believe and trust in Jesus, you can go ahead and grab them if you haven't already done so. And here at Grace Life, we celebrate Lord's Supper, communion, um, whatever you want to call it, once a month. And so we want you to know if, if you're a, a guest with us today, Um, and you are currently believing and trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are more than welcome to participate with us. Um, This is actually a way that we all preach the gospel together. And I'm going to read a passage in just a minute, and it says, when we do this, we proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus until he comes back. So this is simply a a reminder, a, a strong symbol that reminds us of what our Lord has done for us. He knows we forget often, right? That's why we have to continually be killing our sin. And he gives us this as a practice, as a way to remember what he's done in the past, to remember that he is with us just as surely and really as these things are with us. He, he is still with us, maybe not physically, but he is with us so strongly. We know his presence is with us right now. And we also look forward as we partake of this to the final marriage supper of the Lamb when sin and death are no more, when the victory is final, when not only the power of sin and death are gone, but the presence of sin and death are gone as well. So that's what we're doing here. Um, So here's what I'll do. I will read this passage as these uh, servants are, are, you guys can go ahead and start passing it out. And I'll read the passage In 1 Corinthians, of how Paul explains what this practice is. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as they pass this out, just take a moment to be still with the Lord and to remember what he's done for you and for us.
So let's take the bread. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. took the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for breaking your body and spilling your blood for us. <laughs> That's the good news that you took on the death we deserved. You lived the perfect life we could never live. You satisfied the Father. And out of your love for us, you gave yourself so that we could be invited in. Thank you for loving us more than we could ever even imagine. So God, may we remember you as we consume these things. May we remember you as we gather together for all the things you've done for us, for dying on our behalf. And may we look forward to that day where we will be seated with you at the table, where we no longer have to war against sin, where, where history has come to its, to its grand finale and you have put away sin and death in anything that goes against you, Lord. Thank you so much for, for choosing us and loving us and giving us what we, what we don't deserve. And may we now live out of that love in response to you, Father. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this reminder that we're all proclaiming your death through this practice until you come again. Amen. And the scriptures tell us that the disciples um, sang a hymn after they enjoyed this practice. So servers, you can go back to your seats and, and we'll sing together. If you guys want to stand and worship with us.
Father God, just pray that you would just open our eyes, Father, and when we're going through stuff, that we would find reasons why we should be praising you, Father. We just love you and we praise you. God, I just thank you for just for the community that we have here at Grace Life, Father, that we are able to open up to each other and just walk in the light sometimes, Father, and just pour out what we're struggling with, Father. And then so many times it is received with such grace and love and understanding, Father, that you are able to use your believers the way you are calling us to be used, Father. I just pray that for those that don't have that, Father, that you would just give us the courage to reach out and to just have someone to lean on, Father God, and that you would just give that person strength and wisdom on how to guide us and how to lead us, Father God. And we just praise you for that. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can take a quick seat, just a couple of announcements, and then we'll be on our way. Um, and before I forget, just make sure you hold on to the little cups We'll have little baskets for you to drop them off at in the back. We want to leave this place clean and fresh because school is starting soon. And with that, today is uh, the first day we have to tear down all of our setup again. So summer is over. It was nice while it lasted. But so with that, if you're able to stick around and help us, just give us a helping hand in the back, tearing down the stuff back there and some stuff in the lobby. Um, we would love to have your help. For the back, just hang out a couple minutes, make sure all the kids are picked up, and then we'll get in there and get everything put away. Um, also, today's the first Sunday of the month, and with that, we collect supplies for Deltona High School. There are several families here attending this school um, who are in need of, of just basic um, hygiene products and also food. Um, so we drop those off in the lobby, and I know Miss Marcy is always incredibly blessed. Her role at the school is to help those families who are in housing transition, who may not have a place to call their own right now. And we want to just help out those families as best we can and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So again, you can drop those off in the lobby. Also, as Tommy was saying, discipleship groups. Um, that website he was talking about is gracelifeflorida.com. Also, on our app, if you have the Church Center app, you can take that out right here on the home page. If you look at the bottom, there's a slot that says D Groups. You can just click on that, and it takes you to the same place. You can sign up there. Um, and we would love to connect as many people as possible into those pods, like three or four people, where you can just dig in together, be in a foxhole together, and, and war against sin, confess your sin, encourage one another. Uh, we're really excited to see what the Lord will do through these discipleship groups. I think those are all the announcements. Oh, also, student ministry. We don't have a slide for this. Uh, middle school and high school, come hang out tonight with us at Steak and Shake in Orange City. We're just going to keep it chill. It's going to be great. Uh, the... School starts not tomorrow, but next Monday, right, for Volusia County? I think so. Okay. But it will be our last meeting before school starts, so we're just going to hang out, say goodbye to summer. It's going to be fun. Parents, you're more than welcome to stick around and hang out, whatever you prefer, or really it's whatever your student prefers. I know how that goes. Um, but yeah, you're more than welcome to stay. 630 Steak and Shake in Orange City. So 
to finish, let's all stand, and we will read our charge aloud. Read this with me. I am a witness. I've been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.